We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Hey friends, did you know that right now you can go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100? So stop what you're doing right now, get signed up using code packaday and get your first deposit match again up to $100 for Monday night football tonight, Vikings 49ers. I'm going with the two quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins, greater than 238.5 yards passing, Brock Purdy, greater than 235.5 yards passing. It's Monday night football and trust me, I know primetime Kirk Cousins usually doesn't show up, especially against a very tough 49ers defense, but I think the 49ers will find success, the Vikings are going to have to play catch up, and both quarterbacks will see their passing yardage skyrocket, so that's why I'm going with the two quarterbacks in this one. The best part, you can sign up right now and get that first deposit match up to $100 right now, so go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday, that's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, for a first deposit match up to $100. Enjoy. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast welcome back to another episode of the pack a day podcast you can get all your pack a day updates by following us on twitter at pack a day podcast remember you can always subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, google play TuneIn, stitcher or spotify and of course you can check us out at cheeseheadtv.com I'm Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by both Andrew Mertig and Maggie Loney. You guys, there's really no way around this. This was just another really, really tough game to watch, but we're here to talk about it. How are you guys? Yeah, my my favorite word in these kind of situations is just brutal. And that was a brutal game to watch. Just nothing going right. I personally like still love watching football. I'm to the age where I'm not going to live and die on how the, the Packers season is going but it is difficult right it's harder to be optimistic about 2023 despite the fact that we're going to continue to sport the living daylight out of this team so uh it's it's a tough day it's it's been a real real tough stretch but how are you doing maggie 
Yeah, I mean, I think going into week eight, I'm going to officially recant my 10 and 7 prediction for this team. The NFC remains, of course, very wide open, especially in that wild card race. And it's pretty clear that unless something changes very, very dramatically for this football team in the next week, I'm not, I'm not sure, honestly, what could, that they're not even close to a playoff caliber football team. And we talked about it a little bit pre-show before we hit record, but... We knew this was an evaluation year for the Packers, but it's really, really hard to evaluate a team that is playing so poorly, although maybe that's part of its own evaluation. So tough week. Didn't expect to be talking about a loss, but I guess that's maybe also the unsurprising part of this whole thing. Yeah, here we are talking about another loss. I think that's probably the most frustrating thing, right? If you could pinpoint where this team was going wrong, if you could name the problem, then you could work on fixing it. And I'm sure that's how Matt LaFleur feels. And it's easy to be critical from the outside, but knowing that he's the guy who has to figure this out, man, you just, it'd be a tough place to be in his shoes. would be really, really difficult. But right now it is just a mess. It makes evaluating Jordan Love really difficult. It makes evaluating the coaching really, really tough because you don't know if it's execution and this is this is a really young team, guys. Like, we know this, but I don't think anyone thought that we'd be in a spot where we'd lost to the Broncos and the Raiders in consecutive weeks. Bad football teams we're losing to right now. So uh, it's been a tough path, but let's talk our way all the way through this one, as painful as it is. Listeners, you deserve this. You, you deserve <laughs> to, <laughs> not the pain, but you deserve to try to understand what happened in this football game. So let's talk about the first half. The Broncos get the ball first and pick up a third and long with Cortland Sutton making a nice catch with Carrington Valentine in coverage. Javante Williams added a 15-yard rush. Williams actually scored, but it was called back on a holding call, and the Broncos had to settle for that field goal there after an 11-play 63-yard drive. The Packers then go three and out. The Broncos follow suit and go three and out. Packers start moving the ball on the second drive with a nice first down pickup to Musgrave. However, on third down, the Broncos get away with what really looked like a defensive pass interference on Patrick Sertain the second. Uh, Just getting called for what was a face mask there was declined, and then it set up a third and six. Uh, The Packers seemed to get the Broncos to jump, but that play was blown dead, which is super frustrating, and they called Josh Myers for a false start, which really it didn't look like anything unnatural from the center there. Just a brutal series of penalties and calls against the Packers in that situation. The Broncos get a few really nice runs from Javante Williams, a catch from P. Ryan, where Quay Walker absolutely missed a tackle where he tried to go high for the tackle. Uh, Maggie was saying pre-show it looked like there was just a maybe trying to be a cape that uh, P. Ryan was wearing there and just dragging, but it didn't work out well for Quay either way. And a uh, a key third down conversion by Cortland Sutton then uh, following that on a slant with Valentine again when in coverage there. Uh, but they're able to hold in the red zone, which was huge, and force them to settle for a field goal on an 11-play 70-yard drive. So at this point, we're talking 6-0 Broncos. Yeah, Kerrigan Valentine got picked on. He just, the Broncos had his number all day. They knew exactly where he was on defense. And part of that, of course, we kind of expected. We didn't think Eric Stokes would be in seeing a ton of game action in his first activation. Jair not playing. Like you hope, it's, it, everybody says it, right? You don't know anybody that's had a bad back. Once you have one, you have one. So really hoping this isn't something that continues to linger for him all season, but kind of seems like that could be the case. But 
this is a really, really young Packers offense. And I hate saying that it's a young offense because at some point you have to get past that. But it feels like at this point, things have to be going pretty perfectly for them to look cohesive. And we're seeing that with how long it takes them to put points on the board each week. So when they get behind the sticks or when they don't get the calls that they want, like the Josh Myers false start and drive start to stall, it just makes everything look so disjointed. And it's really hard for them to get back into rhythm. If you had, you know, some more veterans on offense, I think you can kind of overcome that adversity a little quicker. But once this really young offense gets rattled, it seems like it takes them a long time to unrattle and get themselves back into, you know, a rhythm. Yeah, rhythm was just not something that the Packers were finding in this first half. And so we're still in the first half. Let's jump in here. Packers do pick up a first down on the next drive, but there's just too much disorganization as Jaden Reed and Christian Watson end up in the same place on the third down play, and it ends in a punt. The Broncos pick up a third down on a Keyshawn Nixon defensive pass interference, a negative 11-yard Mims reverse, and a holding penalty back the Broncos way, way up. Jaleel McLaughlin has a 23-yard run, though, but Wilson misses on third and eight, and so the Broncos then do uh, stall and have to punt themselves. Aaron Jones picks up a third and one on a pitch play. Dobbs with a 14-yard gain on a quick screen. Jones has a play on third and one, but the offense ends up stalling out, and Anders Carlson has what should be an easy kick. But as was going this way with the entire offense, he is not able to uh, connect on that kick and pulls it left. Of course, then the Broncos go 50 yards in 36 seconds and get another Will Lutz field goal. So it's up to a 9-0 Denver lead at the half. Yeah, it's just really rough. The offense was so wildly incompetent in the first half. They never had anything close to a sense of rhythm. Everything was either at or behind the line of scrimmage, and it did seem like an extreme overcorrection from Matt LaFleur and company to not have Jordan Love be as aggressive as he had been before the bye week. So they just don't really have anything they can rely on. And I'd rather see them take some deep chances to at least try to get teams to stop flying forward at the snap. We'll talk about that a little bit as we get into the second half. Uh, But the defense just keeps losing players. They certainly aren't playing up to level that they need to, but down three to four starters to continually hold in the red zone really kept this team in the game in the first half. Yeah, a lot of frustration there. When your defense only allows nine points, you typically, you know, we've given a lot of grief to this defense, but that is not seemingly the problem uh, in this football game. So let's talk. We come out of the half. The Packers come out with a six-yard run from Aaron Jones. Uh, Dobbs has a deep route that probably should have been a catch, and Wicks comes up with a big conversion on third down. Love picks up another first on a third down scramble. Uh, Wicks... Um, on a throwback to Aaron Jones, which is a really, really fun play. But the drive stalls out in the red zone after a third down attempted fade to Dobbs. 12 plays, 64 yards in this one. Uh, Carlson does connect on this field goal, though, so it is 9-3 Denver. uh, To the Broncos on offense now, 18 yards on the first play to Jerry Judy. Javante Williams, 22 yards on the second play. Man, just big gash plays. Uh, Williams, eight yards on the third play. Packers get a stop, but defensive holding on Jonathan Owens uh, is just a mess. It leads to miscommunication and a touchdown to Cortland Sutton is the end of the series there. So we got 16 
to three Broncos. Uh, with the ball back, Jordan Love connects for 23 yards to Christian Watson. Defensive holding on Sertan bails out the Packers uh, on an incomplete third down pass. There's a third down conversion on an out route to Jaden Reed and a touchdown to Romeo Dobbs on a simultaneous catch with Sertain in coverage. 16 to 10, Denver is still the score there. Yeah, against the Raiders, you know, I think one of the knocks for this Packers receiving core was them being out physicaled. We saw it at, you know, the the game clinching interception in the end zone with Watson. So watching that touchdown live, I was like 99% sure that it was going to be an easy interception. And the way Dobbs really fought back to the ball for that simultaneous catch and touchdown was, I thought, really impressive. And for a while, it really felt like it was going to be the thing that could give this offense the momentum that it needed to turn things around. But Kyle will tell us that that was not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the Broncos go three and out on a great third down stop from Rashawn Gary. Uh, And then back on offense, a really nice throw to Luke Musgrave. Uh, Kareem Jackson turns himself into a missile for a 15-yard penalty and the ejection. Uh, Super dirty hit by Jackson. You just hate to see that. But fourth and one conversion. The Packers get one to Ben Sims, A.J. Dillon has a 14-yard run, um, a touchdown now to Reed, which was a very interesting play through the hands of Dobbs. Just a crazier play, one of the crazier plays you'll ever see. But the Packers are on top now, 17-16. They've come back. Uh, the Broncos get nine plays next on the next drive. They go nine plays, 41 yards in four minutes and 41 seconds and take the lead on a field goal there. So they're up 19 to 17. Okay, so everything is coming together. The Packers are going to have to mount one last drive. They get a 29-yard catch and run by A.J. Dillon, and it looks like they're in business, right? Like things are coming together. Uh, But next, they get a zero-yard gain on the run, a holding penalty on Elton Jenkins, and an incomplete pass to Watson where he gets hurt, so you get the injury of course, with the with the negative result on the play. Just it leads to a desperation situation, right? You find yourself in third and twenty. Love doesn't lead to Ray enough to the sideline on the deep pass and it's intercepted by the Broncos. And that's where we find ourselves. Um, Denver then just needs to run out the clock and that's how this one ends. So the Packers move to two and four on the year in a way that it was it was bad from the beginning. They mounted a comeback. It felt like it may have been a possible for them to come back and get the win on a comeback, but it wasn't in the cards, and the Packers find themselves sitting at that 2-4 and four spot. Yeah, it really did seem, I, I mentioned the Packers' offense didn't have any rhythm whatsoever in the first half, but it did seem like their offense got some rhythm in the second half. They did have some assistance from penalties to sustain drives, but there were plays made and plays that probably could have been made for even more. But when you dig a massive hole, it gets really easy for the other team to have a lot of outs. And the Broncos just needed that one last drive to kick the field goal, and that was their out. Um, They were meticulous. They marched the ball down the field goal. They hit a tough they hit a tough field goal, um, and that was it. And it is getting harder to see what Green Bay does really well. And finding wins on the schedule, coming off back-to-back losses to bad AFC West teams, it's just starting to get more difficult for us to see a path for the Packers to get back into this. 
Yeah, and as we kind of move into our key players and key play segments, I just wanted to kind of wrap the game recap by saying that there's obviously plenty of blame to go around everywhere, right? Jordan Love needs to play better, and he needs to not make that decision to throw the game ceiling interception. You have to live for another down there. It was third and 20. You know, try to get a piece of it, something that gives you another opportunity. The offense needs to get out of its own way, and the young players need to somehow stop making the same mental errors every week. Andres Carlson, of course, has his first missed kick of the season, and it cost the Packers three points, which, hindsight's twenty twenty. we know now, of course, that would have won them the game. The defense holds the Broncos to one touchdown and four field goals, and of course, they give up that last field goal to the Broncos to give them the lead, but it's still only 19 points, and you expect your offense to be able to score more than 19 points against the worst defense in the NFL. So just a ton of blame to go around in every single phase, and it leaves you with a lot of questions, lots of It was a very winnable football game that this team lost and just a bad AFC West team. They lost a winnable game coming out of a mini buy after that Thursday night football loss to the Lions, had an actual buy to make adjustments, then came out flat against a one and five team and didn't make any adjustments. So the exact worst outcome possible here for the Packers in a two game stretch and the schedule only gets harder. Yeah, it's really kind of hard to wrap your mind around what happened because I think we have a lot of we have a lot of uh, optimism about what this team can be, but we just haven't seen it come to fruition on the football field. And he talked about like this is a bad Broncos team that we just lost to, like one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And I was just thinking about Agyro Evero and like what he meant to this team last year and what the Broncos were as a defensive unit. Now he's gone, and how this this team can't stop anyone. And then of course today having the offensive problems that the Packers have, I don't think it was because the Broncos were suddenly amazing. I think the Packers are just so disjointed. They have so many things to figure out. Um, and let's hope that they can spend some time over the next couple of weeks, correcting some of those things. But uh, it's hard because like we didn't win the football game. The game did not go the way we wanted to, but let's still talk about like who were some of the players that stuck out to you in this game from the Packers standpoint like who who contributed to this game in a positive way that maybe gives you hope and optimism for the weeks ahead i key player of the game for me is none Uh, and i don't (laughs) say that as like this passive aggressive fan who is just bitter like the the team lost nobody played well but i literally can't think of anyone that would be deserving of a player of the game in the true sense of of that term i think dontavian wicks had a couple of really nice plays i think there's a lot of reason for him to continue to get more and more snaps um but when i tried to come up with like one bright spot i couldn't and i that's kind of the massive concern in the story of this team over the last month so, Maggie, you have anybody? I mean, the optimist in me wants to give the game balls to A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones because I think we're seeing what the offense can look like when A.J. Dillon does not have to be the workhorse and is able to share the load in the back. Jones looked good and very limited action. You know, now, of course, we're hoping he's on an upward trajectory, getting more snaps in the coming weeks. But the pessimist in me is reminding myself that this is a Broncos defense that has the worst run defense in the entire NFL. Um, So, of course, the Packers need to look good against that. But hopefully, if anything, you know, this was kind of a jump start for that Packers backfield to realize some potential and establish a foundation, at least for them to build off of. Okay, so not a lot of good there, uh, but uh, let's continue to talk about, like, those are the players. Were there any plays made today 
that, you know, the Packers came close. Like maybe that last drive ends differently. Maybe they take, you know, two completions to get past the third and 20 and we're in field goal range and Andres Carlson redeems himself. And we're talking about a win here. Like looking back, who would you have maybe called, you know, what were the turning points that made that possible? What were your key plays of the game in this one? I mean, if we're talking like impressive performances and plays, then I think, you know, A.J. Dillon, I thought, looked really good. He had a couple. He had like a nice screen that he took, broke a tackle and had like a really big completion. So there were certainly moments where it felt like the offense was going to get clicking. And, you know, Jordan Love scrambled a couple times. And so there were there were moments of excitement where you thought they could kind of claw their way back into it. But I really think, you know, if we're talking about like a trajectory swinging moment in this game, it was the Myers false start penalty. I I just thought that was such a bad omen of things to come for the entire game. You know, I mentioned it earlier, like this offense isn't mature enough. I don't think at this point to be able to overcome those types of setbacks. So that was a really nice drive, a really nice start to the game. And that false start really killed a promising drive that should have ended in points and instead forced the Packers to punt and gave the Broncos the opportunity to go down and get another field goal. Yeah, and I'm also going to mention a false start, which is really telling of what the Packers' current situation is. I will say, however, that was not a false start on Josh Myers. Like, be as critical as you want about Josh Myers, I will support you. But what he did is so natural of what centers do on so many plays, especially when you're on the road and you have to look back. Uh, That was a completely bogus call, and it came directly after... The Packers had a face mask penalty, but it should have been offsetting because Patrick Sertain interfered with the receiver. They didn't call that part of it. And so, uh, yeah, that did not help the the Packers situation. Uh, It will never be blame the ref season on this show, but uh, that wasn't a real great look. Neither was. Uh, you know, CBS's head of officiating on the broadcast not knowing what he's talking about when it comes to simultaneous catching, because that was dead wrong and is not in the rule book whatsoever. Anyways, moving on. Uh, <laughs> my, key pl- uh, my key play is actually like a couple of plays. And so under two minutes in the first half, the Packers had first and 10 from the 31. They get to third and four. Rashid Walker false starts. The next play, they get five yards on a completion, and they have to settle for a field goal attempt. So do the math. They got five yards. It was third and four. Rashid Walker made it third and nine. That's not good. Then Daniel Carlson, I said Daniel, Anders Carlson misses. The Broncos then march down and get a field goal of their own. So the Packers had a chance to get one first down and at a minimum run the clock out on the first half and then kick the field goal. Instead, they miss. They give Denver three points. So that's a six-point swing uh, and in a game that ended on a one-point differential. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, so we wanted to, to wrap up and talk about injuries a little bit. There are more than we probably can contain, and I'm sure the rest of the Packaday team will cover this throughout the week. But Devontae Wyatt leaving with a knee injury, getting carted off is never a good sign. So uh, we'll wait to hear more. I'm sure there's some testing being done uh, that will be more conclusive on the severity of that. Darnell Savage has a calf injury. Jaden Reed did get hurt, but uh, also returned to the game in the second half, uh, despite that looking pretty serious at the time. Josh Myers gets hurt. Of course, he's only out for uh, the rest of that series and ended up coming back in the game as well. Uh, But given the Packers injury history, sometimes those things 
workout during the game and then have a, a tendency to be a little bit bigger deal later on. Christian Watson with the knee injury, there is a lot of speculation out there about that. That could be a ligament kind of thing. It bent at a weird angle, uh, didn't look great, especially his reaction on the sideline. Um, the, the, you know, Twitter doctors that are out there that like speculate on these kind of things say that it could be like a two to three week kind of injury. It could end a season. We don't know. Uh, but there's going to be some really important tests coming there. Luke Musgrave, we thought he left with a concussion after the cheap shot. Uh, however, there were reports that he left the locker room in a walking boot. So uh, perhaps more to that. Uh, all of that collectively, not good. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of thoughts on like, you know, different kinds of medicine and things that help. Maybe wearing a walking boot indirectly helps concussions like recover more quickly like that 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 may be a thing that's interesting though maggie said it sounded like his his leg got or ankle got twisted or something yeah the way that he like bent it did look kind of like a concussion but his leg like buckled under him and i think he rolled Mm. his own ankle yeah so well let's hope that it's not a big injury for luke musgrave and you talking about christian watson absolutely makes me just so frustrated for him after you know, he's battled to get back on the field and then to have it be potentially a serious injury would be a huge disappointment. But uh, there were a lot of other football games uh, that happened on Sunday. I don't know how much of the NFL you guys got to catch, but I mean, quick survey around the NFC North. Really interesting, right? Like Detroit, who's been on an absolute tear, um, you know, just loved by the media talking about how this is Detroit's year. And they get trounced by the Baltimore Ravens. It's like not even competitive. That game was totally out of hand within like really the first quarter. Just just a total nightmare for the Detroit Lions. The Bears beat a really bad Raiders team that just beat the Green Bay Packers. So it, it, none of the NFL makes any sense. And I don't know what to make. I think it's just a week-to-week league. And you have to show up every week if you're going to win these games. So really interesting to see the impact. Of course, we don't get the Minnesota game until Monday night, but we are fairly certain that that's not going to go well against the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I just wanted to say really quick, I have been saying that Detroit are paper lions, I guess we would say in this situation, (laughs) not paper tigers. Uh, I don't think that they're a particularly great team. I think they're a good team in the NFC. They might be good enough to be the three seed, uh, but I don't think they're anywhere near on the level of San Francisco and Philly. And I quite frankly don't think Detroit would even be a playoff team in the AFC. Um, I, I can't say that like too hard because the Packers are terrible right now, but um, I, I just don't get all of the hype around the Lions. They they ran into a good team. Now, they have a very soft schedule going forward, so they very well could get back into their winning ways and go forward. The Bears win, which we would celebrate a whole heck of a lot because they are ruining their draft position, mm-hmm. except a whole lot of teams won that only had one win before. And now the Panthers have zero wins and the bears own their pick. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, the only other team really in contention for the first pick right now is the Arizona Cardinals with just one win. Uh, but uh, the Panthers better get on their horse and win some games. So we don't have to see Caleb Williams in the NFC North next year. Uh, anything that you wanted to add, Maggie? No, I mean, I just, I think it's such an interesting case study. We talked about the NFC North being so wide open this season and, 
<laughs> well, I, I, that's all. That's all. It's just, it's a, it's a joke of a division right now. And it's, it's a bummer because I think we had such high expectations. You know, it's like you said, you know, the, the paper lions on paper, this was supposed to be a really good Packers team. And that's why this has been so frustrating because the NFC is completely wide open. You've got a defense that's supposed to be like a top 10 unit in the league. And you just need to, to keep your offense in games. And the defense has done that. And the offense hasn't been able to deliver on their end. So I guess you're hoping in the final stretch of the season here that you just see progress and growth. And I think that's what's been so frustrating these last couple of weeks is they've had all this time to work on these things and they almost look worse. <laughs> and so you just yeah. can't afford to go backwards. I, I have two things that have popped into my head as the show has gone on. So whether or not you want to comment on them, that's that's totally up to you. I don't want to put you on the spot. But one thing that is continually frustrating to me, especially over the last month, is I try to think this is a young team. So we should be full of players that are emerging, that have been pleasant surprises thus far in the season. I cannot name one player that I would be like, yeah, I wasn't expecting them to contribute to this team, and they have. That's alarming to me. I, I don't know. Is is there anybody that jumps off the page to either of you? No, I mean, I think it's more surprising that the players that we thought would contribute maybe in ways that would be surprising haven't. Like, and I know it's like a tough task because of what he was asked to do today, but like, Carrington Valentine not playing the way that we kind of thought that he might at this point. And then we talked about Kingsley Enigbare. Like, I know he had a couple good plays today, but like we really thought the depth at that edge rusher position was just like wildly out of control good. And like, you know, we've kind of seen him kind of just fall into like more of that depth role. And um, yeah, like I, I think obviously injuries inform this whole conversation. And that's really frustrating that like you don't feel like you have a read. But in those injuries, no one has filled those roles in a positive way that you say, oh, we didn't know we had that guy. And it just kind of makes you wonder about the depth of this team as a whole. Yeah. And so the, the other thing that I was going to say is just there is the excuse that this is a young team and we have to have realistic expectations. But I think the lack of competitiveness in in the last month has been really frustrating for me. So when I look across the league and I say, here's a bunch of teams that didn't have any expectations coming in the season. They don't have the veteran presences that the the Packers do. And you think about the Arizona Cardinals. They're not a good team, but they're mm -hmm. in every game. And we haven't seen that competitiveness. We've seen players step up that we wouldn't have necessarily thought would. We see the Chicago Bears, you know, winning two of their last three uh, now and with an undrafted rookie quarterback at that. Yes, the Raiders are a bad team, but they also beat the Packers uh, with, you know, their starting quarterback. And then, you know, you look at teams that have had more success. The Rams had no expectations. That is a super young team full of undrafted rookies, and they are massively competitive. Um, you see, you know, players stepping up all across the, the, the board on the Rams roster. And then the Texans, who had no expectations, people were thinking they might be one of the worst teams in the league this year, and are 500 led by, oh yeah, a bunch of really young players. And so I, I guess that's my additional concern with this team is that there's just not players that are stepping up with given the opportunity to with a lot of additional playing time. Yeah, so we find ourselves 
two and four. No one wanted to be here. I think we had a lot higher expectation, especially considering the schedule. We're about a third of the way through the schedule. So I think the Packers have to look at this like, okay, it didn't go the way that we wanted, but we've got two more, two more thirds of this, of the schedule. Can we improve? Because otherwise this is going to be a really, really long season. But if they can say, yes, we're a young team. Yes, we didn't get it right. But then flip the switch and start to build on some of those things and work out some of those mistakes, like the guys running their routes into each other and those kinds of things, then maybe we see this team take a really big step and at least we can evaluate the quarterback. But at this point, it's just been a really, really tough way to start the season. And I think really underperforming where a lot of people thought this team could be. Yeah, and I mean, like we talked about it a little bit pre-show, Jordan Love certainly is not doing himself a hell of a lot of favors at this point either to like put himself into the conversation, but he also has not done a ton to hurt this team, and the offense is not helping him put himself mm-hmm. in a position to really be successful. So we talked about it, you know, this again at the top of the show, this is a, a season for evaluations, but the evaluation gets harder when your team is underperforming to the level that this Packers team is repeatedly underperforming. I think we could get a lot more accurate thought, even in all of the frustration, if we had half of the situations that were second and 15, third and 20, first and 15, there have seemingly been so many of those scenarios. And I think those are the plays, and I'm just speculating, but I'm guessing those are the plays that throw off Matt LaFleur. Like we can't run the play that we wanted to play, you know, to run. And Jordan is running a different play than they normally would be running because they're behind the sticks all the time. I think that's the piece that if anything else, if the Packers can do over the next six or seven games would just be get, to get in a game script that allowed them to run on time. And I know some of that is self-inflicted and I mean, it's all self-inflicted, but some of it is purely penalties. And like Andrew said, you know, the Josh Myers penalty probably isn't the Packers' fault. That's just dumb luck. But they've got to eliminate some of that so that they can establish a rhythm. Because as we saw in this game, there was none. And I think it's really hard to evaluate a Jordan Love kind of quarterback when you're constantly giving him really frustrating situations to try to dig out of. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of lazy analysis that this is all Jordan Love's fault. And it's a complimentary football problem, right? Jordan Love throws a perfect pass. Romeo Dobbs can't bring it in. And then Jordan Love comes back and airmails the next throw. Uh, or, you know, the the Packers get ahead of the sticks and it's second and six and then they get a false start penalty. Uh, they they have, you know, first and 10, they decide to run and then nobody blocks. It's, it's just this continual problem with getting on the same page. And you cannot have long drives when you have those kind of problems and the Packers aren't in a situation right now where they're hitting the big plays. So, uh, you know, something's got to fix itself eventually. I do think this team just has too much potential to continually be as bad as they've been over the last four games. Um, And, you know, I hope you all stick with us and we will get this turned around uh, because otherwise it's going to be a real long season. But uh, that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Packerty Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. You can find Maggie at Maggie J. Loney and also on Pax What She Said. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star review. You can catch Kyle, Maggie, and myself every Monday. And we'll be back next week with a breakdown of the Packers' Week 8 game against the Minnesota Vikings. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember...
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.